I kind of finally decided that I want to talk to you guys about something that I think that this group does really well. And then kind of translate that into, since we do this so well, we need to do this other thing well. Does that make sense? It'll make more sense once I teach it. But we're going to talk about what this group does well. And then we're going to talk about how we can use that ability to do that well to do something else well. But today we're going to talk about um, this sense of community in the church, okay? And just a spoiler alert, that is what you guys do well, okay? So like this idea that we are a group and we care about one another, we love one another. Yeah, we may, we may get tired or whatever was going on over the weekend and we may get upset at each other from time to time. Trust me, at camp it'll happen. You live with someone for a week, you get angry at them, it's whatever. But in a general sense, we come in here and everyone in this group knows each other, everyone in this group loves each other, and we, and we genuinely care about one another. And, you know, I think this is super, super important because when you look at the idea of environment, like, that's a really, really big factor. And if you think about, if you think about, like, places like Disneyland, Disney World... Um, if you think of like Disney World or Disneyland, they pay like probably millions of dollars a year to create a certain environment, right? Or a certain atmosphere. Like, and, and you can read stuff online about how they like even pump smells in to make you feel certain things. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Disney World goes all out. But like, you can, like when you go to certain places... They will pump smells in to make you associate that with certain things so that you have a, like, you're more enthralled in the experience. But they spin, or how their characters and the people are always, like, in character and in costume and everything. They spend tons of money to create this culture, create this environment. And so when I think about that, I want to ask you guys, does environment not like the environment like go green or something but like does environment in a place matter to you guys yes yeah right like if we go into a restaurant and like everyone's like yelling at each other and like being mean and like the waiters and waitresses are like just throwing food around and not or if you go into a restaurant and everyone's like really nice and like maybe they got good music playing and everything like environment is super super important can we all agree on that like it makes a big difference. And think about how your personal experiences are affected by the environment of a place. Think about like theme parks, right? You have good or bad theme park experiences based on the environment. Maybe it's super packed. Now, and they can't help that, but it's super packed and you have a really crummy day because you're hot and you're sweaty and so are 7 billion other people that are waiting in line for the same roller coaster as you for two hours and whatever. Or think about like... <laughs> These are the places that come to mind for me because I have little kids. But think about like Build-A-Bear or like Chuck E. Cheese. Like, like chill, chill, chill. We're not going to Build-A-Bear. Uh, but think about like Build-A-Bear or like Chuck E. Cheese. Like they have very specific environments. Like, right? The, the, they don't really care. They don't care about how the environment is to the parents. They care about how the environment is to the kids. Right? They know who their target audience is and they appeal to that audience. 
Companies spend millions of dollars every year developing and creating environments and experiences that are all designed to leave people excited about it in the moment and with a desire to come back and experience it again. And when we look at the early church, and and when I talk about looking at the early church, we're obviously going to be in the book of Acts today. And if you're wanting to flip there, if you have your Bible, Acts 2 is where we're going to be. But when we look at the early church, it was known for having a culture or an environment that was greater than one that was made. Like, right, these, these, these man-made environments, it was better than that because it was a culture that was filled with God's love. And a love that reflected who Jesus was, and it, ref- and it drew people to the church. People were drawn in when they experienced this culture of love. Their, their example of this culture and community in Acts 2 is a challenge to us today of how to recreate that, how how the church should be. If you read through the book of Acts, it's really a blueprint of what the church should look like. And sadly, if you read through the book of Acts, the church looks very little like it today. And and that's an indictment on the American church because the, the American church should look a lot more like the church in Acts did. But when we, look, when we read through Acts 2, it's really a challenge to us of how we should create a church culture, a church environment. <clears throat> so we're going to be in Acts 2, like I said today, and we're going to start reading in verses 41 and 42. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. Okay, so in this moment, we see in verse 41 that 3,000 people were saved and baptized in one day. Okay, like, I don't know about you guys, but that would be like crazy bonkers. Okay, I couldn't even think about baptizing 3,000 people in one day because now it's like a big production, right? We have to like invite all the family in and like we've got to do a whole like, this is so-and-so. And if all their family would please stand so that we can recognize, oh, let's all give their family a round of applause. And then we do that. And then you have a conversation with them and you have to say, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we do it. And then everyone applauds again. But I mean, imagine if you did that 3,000 times in one day, it would literally be like your whole day. But they didn't drown them. But it was a little bit more, it was a little bit more like the one in the video, if you saw it. They're just like in a creek and they're just like, okay, next one. Okay, next one. Like they got through it. But anyway, so in this moment, in this moment, hey, up here, up here. In this moment, the church was exploding, right? Like we, we had the apostles who were originally the disciples, right? And they're friends. So we had this very small, like you can imagine a small country church, probably less than 50 people, okay? It was probably closer to like 20 to 25 people. So we have this small little church and all of a sudden in one day they go from small little country church to like a dadgum cross church campus, okay? That's got like thousands of people, okay? In one day. So like you can imagine... You can imagine the culture change that happened from one day when you're like just a group of people who devoted the last few years to following Jesus around in his ministry to all of a sudden you have 3,000 people, many of whom had never even met Jesus. 
Okay, like this is a radical like change that is happening right here in the church. And, and so when we see this change happen, when we see that happen in verse 41, we have to look at verse 42 as to what the apostles did to maintain this culture, to maintain this, this church love culture that Jesus had started them out in. And we see them do four things. Okay, we see that the church devoted itself to four things. The first one was the apostles teaching. Okay. So we understand like we still get that today. That makes sense. You come to church to learn, right? That's what we're doing literally right now is you came to church and you're learning from someone who's teaching a pastor or a youth pastor, children's minister, whatever you, you come to hear from a teacher to learn about God. So that, so they devoted themselves to the to the apostles' teaching, the believers in Acts realized how critical it was to apply God's words to their life. And that's something that we sort of realize today. We understand that we need to learn about God's word, but we, we need to be better about realizing we have to apply it to our lives. So first, they devoted themselves to teaching. Two, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Okay, so if we look at the Greek word for fellowship, it actually means to share. And the early church literally shared their lives together. Okay, like you want to talk about having a a D-Now weekend or a camp experience where you're living together for a few days. No, this was like they lived in a community of Christians, like they were attending church essentially every day. They shared everything that was going on in their lives. They lived life together. They did life together. Fellowship was more than what we call the fellowship hall, right, is where we go and we eat, right? That's our fellowship. We don't do a whole lot of stuff where we just do life together. Youth kind of does because we go to camps and things like that. But, you know, big church or adults, like, they may go on a retreat or something every now and then, but they don't, they don't do life together in the same way that they did. The fellowship now has been reduced to just some time we spend together around the Wednesday night meal. <clears throat> Whereas fellowship back then was literally, like, it wasn't just a weekly gathering, it was just their life. Like, that was just what they did. What? Yeah, it, it was a community. It was just their life. It was what they did. So one, they were devoted to the teaching. Two, to fellowship. Three, was breaking bread, which sounds really weird. Like, they gather together and they break bread. And it's like, okay, good job, guys. Let's go home. No. Like, breaking bread is, like, code for they ate together, right? Like, that's, so, like, oh, let's go break bread, brother. You know, like, but think about it for a second. Realistically, you don't normally eat with people you don't like. Right? Like, I mean, I'm not trying to be rude with that statement. I'm just trying to be real. You don't normally eat with people you don't like. And, and if you are, something has probably gone wrong that has put you in that situation. Okay? Like, if, <laughs> if you're sitting at a table and someone you don't like comes and sits down, it's like, hey! And you're like, oh, no. Like, we all know that feeling. Okay? But you don't eat. You don't typically eat with people you don't like. And so... Think about, think about what it means. I want you to think for a second about what it means if someone offers to eat a meal with you. Like if they say, if I was like, hey, Michael, you want to go to lunch? Like that means that I care about you enough that I actually, you want to break bread with me? Um, no, it, listen, it genuinely means that I care enough about Michael that I don't mind sitting across from him at a table having lunch and having a conversation. Right? Like that's what it means if someone invites you to lunch. So for them to to devote themselves to breaking bread, to devote themselves to eating together and to spending time together, it was a way of showing that they truly cared and loved and appreciated one another. 
So they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, which just means sharing of lives. And they devoted themselves to breaking bread, which meant spending time together and eating together. And finally, the fourth thing was they spent, they devoted themselves to prayer. And I think that, I think this is one of the big ones. Like at this church, we do teaching. We do some fellowship. We have meals together. But realistically, when I think about us at this church praying together as a community, most of the time that's some one person getting up in front of the church and praying, right? Like we'll pray on a Sunday morning at the end of the sermon, like, or, you know, someone will pray in the middle of the worship. Very rarely do we have a time where we say, hey, you know what? If someone in this congregation needs prayer right now, would you please stand up so that so that the rest of the people in here can come around you and can pray for you? We just don't really do it. Like praying to us has become almost a private thing, right? It's like what's it's like I pray for my life, you know, and I pray I can pray for other people, but I do that privately, right? Prayer is a private thing. When in reality, the the original idea of prayer and the way that prayer was set up was to be done in a community and it was to be done together to share what your burdens were, to share what was going on in your life, to share your struggles, your your problems with other people so that they could cover you in prayer like and, and we've lost that somewhere. Right. It, we've lost that somewhere in the church. And so we need to be people who pray not just for one another. Like it's great to come in here on Sunday school and be like, yeah, I have a prayer request. And my cat has diarrhea. Um, like, okay, that's, that's cool and all that we share these prayer requests. But do, does your cat really have diarrhea? I will pray for your cat, okay? Um, <clears throat> but no, but we... Uh... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. That was my fault. That was my fault. Listen, shh, shh. But it's one thing to come in here like to Sunday school and to share our prayer requests with one another. And it's an entirely other thing to gather together to pray for one another. Like in the moment, like to stop and wrap your arms around that person and say, I want to pray for you. I want to join arms with you and go through this with you. That's the kind of prayer that this is talking about. If everyone in your circle, everyone in your community has more of a mindset and a desire to, to be devoted to God in prayer, it helps us all to change for the better. Praying for one another equals caring for one another. So we look, so we see that God has radically multiplied this church by, by thousands. We see how they handled that, but then we look in verses 43 through 45, and it says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave it to anyone as he had need. <clears throat> See, that the, the, the people, the believers in the early church, they didn't just meet together for prayer and worship. Like, they didn't just show up at 9 o'clock for Sunday school, and then go to 10 o'clock service, and then they were at lunch by 1130. Like, it wasn't just that they came together and they were like, look, you know, we, we all care about you. What do you need? Okay, you need a new wooden chair. Well, so-and-so over here is a carpenter. He'll build you a wooden chair. Yours, bro- like, we'll take care of you. Oh, you need this? Well, he's 
a whatever, you know, he's a blacksmith. He can make you a new axe. You know, like, I don't know what it is, but like they pulled all their resources. They pulled all their abilities and they pulled all the stuff they had to take care of one another because they cared about each other and they loved for one another. They provided for each other's needs. They sold their possessions. Like, think about that for a second. Like, imagine if one of you guys came up to me and was like, hey, I just had this really bad tragedy in my life and I need a couple hundred dollars. And I was like, oh man, I don't have a hundred dollars with me right now, but let me run home and go grab some of my valuables and I'll go to the pawn shop and sell them. And then I'll give you the cash. Like that would seem so weird. So, so that, but like realistically, that sounds so weird to us that someone would just like run home, sell some stuff and give you the money. But that's exactly what it's talking about them doing in these verses. And, it, and if you read like, there were a lot of like Greek philosophers and stuff around in these times. And they had writings where they talked about the church and they talked about believers and the Greek philosophers of the day, they even recognized the care and the love that the church reflected in like outside of their community. They looked at them and they said, you know, the church is different. The people who are believers in Christ are different. They show this care, this love, this community that is unmatched in other circles. Um, <laughs> we can talk later. Um, <clears throat> The crazy thing was, here's the crazy thing. And this is where I think it really starts to blow our minds. What they did was a gift from the heart. It wasn't a requirement. Like, I want you to think for a second, like, okay, we, we talked a few weeks ago in our American Idol study about, about idolizing money and how we should all be tithing. Like, we talked about that, okay? I'm not going to rehash that and cover that again. But, like, that is a requirement, essentially, right? That is a biblical thing that talks about giving 10% of what God has gifted you through income back to Him, okay? So, that is that would be listed as a biblical requirement, okay? I'm not saying I'm going to, like, twist your arm and be like, pay your 10% or you're not coming back here. Like, I'm saying biblically that would be listed as a requirement. But what they are doing here, what they are giving... This is not something that the Bible says, oh, you should sell your possessions and give, give it to the church. Or you should sell this and give it to those in need. Like this is something that they were just doing because they truly loved and cared for one another. It was something they just did out of the kindness of their hearts. And this example of caring and genuine love reflected the love that Christ has for each and every one of us. And it reflects the love that Christ called each and every one of his followers to live with. And so we keep reading in, in verses 46 and 47, and it says, <clears throat> Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. There they are, breaking bread again. Uh, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church did all these things that we've been talking about, but, but what was the most impressive thing that they did? Like, we just listed all these really cool things that the church did, and we can say any of them were, like, super impressive. 
And, and this is where I'm going to transfer from what we're good at. Because I look in this youth group and I looked at us, like especially over this last weekend, how like as everyone was like one tired, okay, like as we we're going through D now, everyone was like tired and grumpy and everything. And we loved each other through that. Um, but everyone was like being spiritually stirred, I felt like. I don't know if you guys felt that, but I felt like God was really moving in the hearts of all, all the people who attended D now this weekend. And, and like we were together through that. Right. We experienced that together. And so, like, I genuinely think that, that this youth group and you guys in here have a great sense of community. You really do. Like, I've been a part of a lot of different youth groups. And this is one of, if not the strongest community of believers that I've been a part of. But of all the things that the early church did reflecting this community, the thing that they did best, and I'm not saying you guys do this bad, but I'm saying this, are, this is where our, needs, our focus needs to be, is this community should drive our outreach, right? We can't just be people who sit here and are so comfortable in our little community that we never share the word of God, that we're so comfortable in our circle that we're like, we're going to help each other all grow spiritually. And by the end of this, we're going to be like way up here spiritually, which that's awesome. But if there's no one that's on the trail behind you, you've done something wrong. As you're growing, you should be like growing like this kind of, that, that's a horrible hand motion example but like you should be growing out as you're growing up and then that should keep growing and so it should look more like a, a triangle right nope it's a right it's a right triangle um half a christmas tree no listen but as you grow spiritually you should be reaching out to others and, and leading them to faith in jesus right leading them to salvation and then they're starting right here and as you're growing, they start growing. And then either you or they reach out to someone else and then they start growing. And then you can see it's like an escalator. Okay, there we go. There's a good example. An escalator. Okay. But we look at this and all the great stuff that they did. The thing that is most impressive about what the early church did is they were concerned with telling people why they did the stuff they did. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I was a teenager... And I was at school, like, I was a goody two-shoes. I think we've covered that. Like, I think we've established that in here. But I was like a goody two-shoes. And people all the times would say that it was because my parents were teachers. Like, they'd be like, oh, well, that's Brian. He's a goody two-shoes because his parents are teachers. He's a teacher's pet, blah, blah, blah. And I never did much to correct them on that. Like, and, and I mean, that was probably partly true, too. But, um... But I didn't do much to correct them on that. What I should have been doing is I should have been telling them that, like, no, I live my life this way out of respect and out of what Jesus has called me to do, right? To be someone who strives for holiness, who strives to do the right thing in situations, in every situation. And, but the early church did that. When people were like, why are you guys sharing all your stuff with the other? Because that's what God's... Because that's what God designed for us to do is to be a community of believers. They shared that with people. And when people heard that and they saw what they were doing, they were like, oh my goodness, I want me some of that. Right? They're like, I want to be a part of that. And so God was adding to their number daily. So not, it wasn't just that one time 3,000 person spike and all of a sudden the church was. No, God was adding to that daily, those who were being saved. They shared the gospel with people. And what happened? People got saved. That's the amazing thing the early church did, that they took this opportunity to share Christ and they used it. 
See, the the chance to share Christ with someone, to invite them to church or to share Christ with them is built on a relationship, right? Very rarely, this does happen, but very rarely do you go share the gospel with someone without having a relationship with them. Like street evangelism where you just walk up to someone like, do you know Jesus? Let me pray for you because you're going to accept Jesus in about 30 minutes. Like that just doesn't happen like that. Usually it comes from a relationship, right? You have a friend that you start talking to about your life and your youth group. And maybe you bring them to church a couple times and they see, man, this youth group really loves each other and they care about each other and they have this community. What's that about? And you get to say, man, you know what? It's, it's because Jesus loves us and we love each other. And they go, man, I want some of that. Sharing Christ is built on relationships. If you share Christ's love with people who see that you're authentic in the way that you live your life, that's the easiest way to share the gospel is to live an authentic life. But that's also one of the hardest things to do, right? Is to be real. Like we're scared. Like we want to put on this fake. It's easy to be fake. It's, it's hard to be real with people. But people can tell when you're not being real with them. I learned that a long time ago in youth ministry. If you're fake with kids, they want nothing to do with you. And that's why I try to be real with you guys. And, and I hope that you guys sense that and I hope that you guys can be real with me back and know that, that I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to... I love you guys. I might be disappointed in a little bit if you make a bad decision. But I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm not going to stop caring about you guys. Because we have a relationship, right? And I want to use that relationship to help you guys be discipled in your relationship with Christ. And I want to build relationships with kids that don't have a relationship with Christ so I can use that relationship to lead them to faith in Christ. We have to be people who use this sense of community to build relationships with the lost and lead them to Christ. And I hope you guys realize the opportunity you have to do that this summer. I think that a lot of times we think that summer camp is for like, it's like party time for the church kids. You know, it's like when we get to come together and we get to go like wild and stuff, you know, like, but man, summer camp is like the one biggest thing that your lost friends might actually come to. You show them that video, you know, obviously they're going to see a lot of like preaching and stuff. They're going to be like, ah, no, but they're going to see like rock walls and kickball and like all the other stuff that's in there. And they're going to be like, that looks kind of fun, Right. It's the one thing that you might actually get a lost kid to uh, one of your friends that is lost to attend. But if we, hey, I told you, don't worry about that. If you have someone who, I'm, I'm dead serious. Listen to this right now. I never want $150 to stop to come between someone here in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have a friend that wants to go to camp and they can't afford $150, I will pay for it myself. I will go home and sell my goods to the pawn shop. No, like, and Cody will. And we have a bunch of people. I'm dead serious right now, guys. We have a bunch of people in this church who would love to pay for kids to go to camp so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So do not let $150 stand between someone going to camp or not. Okay, that's my speech on that. I'm going to leave that there. Mic drop. Okay, but serious. Um, but serious. This is a chance for you guys to use your relationship with people to bring kids to camp. I I sent a message out that our cabin, I guess, is doing some renovations. And they said, hey, we may not have all 75 beds. How many kids are you going to be bringing? And I said, I really don't know, but it won't be 75. But, man, I'd love if you guys proved me wrong. Like, think about it. If we, we brought, like, we had, listen, we had, like, 20 kids come to D now. And that was just, like, 
mainly kind of our core, core group. We've got, I think, more than 20 in here tonight alone, okay? If each one of you in here went to camp and each one of you in here brought one friend, all of a sudden we're at 40, okay? Like that happens very quickly. And if, if a couple of you bring 20, two friends, we're at 50, okay? And that's not, and our whole youth group isn't even in here tonight, okay? So I would love for you guys to prove me wrong and me have a major problem of not having enough beds when we go to camp. I would love that problem, okay? Realistically. I will sleep on the floor. I will sleep. I swear to you, I will sleep on the floor if you bring enough kids that we don't have beds for them. Okay. <clears throat> I shave my beard. I will shave Cody's beard. <laughs> um, no, but listen, listen real quick. Let me finish up and then you can ask me all the questions you want. But guys, we have to be like, listen, let me finish. Let me wrap this up right here. We are people. We, we are a good community here. We love each other. I, I love that about this youth group is the great community that you guys are together. But we have to be people who use that community to show people who Jesus is and to build relationships with them so that we can lead them to Christ. And that's what we have a great opportunity to do this summer. And I hope you guys realize that. And I hope you guys take advantage of that. So I'm going to pray for you guys real quick. You can come ask me as many questions as you want about camp. You can ask me as many questions as you want about other things. Um, but yeah, so let me pray for you real quick. God, thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for these students. I thank you for your love that you show us. And God, I, I just pray that you would help us to realize that love that you show us and to take that love and to translate it into not only this group, but into the lost world around us, God, that you would help us to be lights of your gospel in this world of darkness, God. I pray that you would just work through each and every one of these students to help them be the, the people of your kingdom that you've called us to be, God. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.